Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show. We're in the middle of a series, Why Do I Still Follow Jesus? We are brought to you by Browncroft Community Church and the Lumavaz Network out of Saddleback Church in California. And uh, today we have a special friend who's personal to me. Um, I might accidentally call him Dr. Ron Hall, but his name's Ron Hall. Uh, Ron uh, had some connections to the Rochester area. He planted Living Word Assembly in Ontario, New York. Um, he was a, he's been a professor, an author, done a lot of content, but um, we have him here today because he's going to tell a special story. So without further ado, Ron, how you doing? I'm doing okay, and it's good to see you, my former student. <laughs> it's great to see you too. Before we kind of go deep into your story, why don't you just kind of give us a high-level introduction, you know, where you live, you know, what your career was, where you grew up, and then we'll jump into a little bit more deeper of your story. Okay. Uh, right now, I'm living in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, but I was a major in science outside of ministry, and then back in the uh, 80s, I ended up uh, pursuing higher education and uh, took on church planting. We did two church plants in New York State. And uh, eventually, from getting a couple masters and a doctorate, I went to uh, Valley Forge Christian College, now called uh, University of Valley Forge, in order to be a professor there for a number of years. Relocated out to the West Coast uh, for ministry there. Had an accident that kind of side-railed some things and led us to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. Man, that's a good intro. Let's uh, so let's kind of come back to your story. Of, you know, I think it's actually been ten years, but you decided to move from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia to Seattle, Washington, and um, you know, uh, if our listeners they can't see you, but for many they can view you. Um, you had a little bit of an accident, and why don't you just kind of talk about that and just your life in the last 10 years, how you are where you are? Well, after 14 years in the higher education then in Pennsylvania, preparing students for ministry, uh, I received a call to go out to Northwest University in Kirkland, Washington, right outside of Seattle. And uh, we moved there in June of 2013. And I was setting up shop. I was brought out to revise their graduate programs, get them up and running because they were sputtering, started making great progress. And then in October, there was a long weekend. I went down to visit some former students in California and went to Laguna Beach. And it was a real rough day of water. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were about a mile up the way. And um, I had to grab a couple of uh, my friend's kids, four they had, uh, because it was so rough. He said, let's go to Laguna Beach. Ended up going uh, down that way, went into the water, and there was a freak accident where I was going forward. And there was a bar, a sandbar type that came up that was hard. And I hit my head and I ended up breaking uh, my cervical too. At that time, I didn't know. I was left in the water, face down, my arms stretched out, and uh, my legs couldn't move anything. And my friend's six-year-old daughter, Sayla, said, look, Daddy, there's Dr. Hall. Chris thought that I was just floating, and then he realized I wasn't moving, ran into the water, got a hold of me, brought me over to the shore. My lungs were full of salt water. 
lifeguards came over with pumps trying to help me out. And then Mercy Helicopter came, and I was not completely passed out at that time, and put me on the stretcher and flew me to Mission Vejo, uh, right outside of Laguna Beach, into the trauma center. And, uh, and it, we, quite a journey started from there, and it's been just over 10 years now. That's a lot. Um, you know, for those that didn't know you, you were very active. Um, I remember being in your garden um, and then also just, you know, running, eating healthy. You know, why don't we just kind of talk about that moment after the helicopter and then kind of going back to Seattle? Like, when did you realize that your life was probably never going to be the same again? Well, uh, I'm a resilient person. I was an avid backpacker, mountain climber, adventure person. I've done whitewater rafting down Cataract Canyon in Utah. So very uh, full of life and, and engaged and uh, running three miles a lot of days of the week. So physically well. And here I am uh, lying in a trauma center hospital and I spent 71 days not knowing if I would ever walk again. And uh, they did this, uh, usually people that get C2 injuries, they're not able to breathe again on their own and not have uh, movement of arms and, and legs. I mean, it's really a setback. But I was determined to walk out of the place. And my wife and I thought, oh, give it some months, we'll bounce back, I'll be back into the full-time classroom rather than having to teach just online. And uh, slowly things start sinking in after your 71 days. Well, first of all, I was six weeks in ICU. Mm. Then when I was air ambulance back up to uh, Seattle, Washington, then I was 71 days in that rehab. And when we got out of rehab, uh, uh, inpatient, then outpatient, trying to process what am I going to be able to do for the future? And it was a it was a challenge. It started sinking in, and uh, there's discouragement, disappointment, frustration, questions that come about. Why God would you allow this to happen? My sons were challenged. It didn't make sense with Dad committing so much to ministry, having grown up in a minister's home. Why would God allow this to happen? So our family went through a lot out of it. So. After those 70 days in the ICU, I mean, you, you're kind of hinting at it, but I'd love for you to go a little bit deeper. You know, you talked about your sons struggling, you've got twin boys, and then, um, you know, my friend Trevor, uh, and, you know, you've devoted your life to being a pastor. And I think people listening to this, this is probably the part of the story that they resonate with the most, but what was that like for you spiritually? You know, did you kind of sense that God was there? Were you trying to process, you know, just help our listeners understand where you were at? Uh, well, when it first happened, my body was in such shock and I was completely paralyzed. So I didn't have use of my arms and legs. And then slowly things started coming back and you're thinking, how far will you go? So it seems like God is off at a distance and uh, you're wondering where his presence are. People are praying all over the country. Love is being poured in. And, and people that I didn't even know that connected with family members and friends. Uh, lots of students who were uh, keen in messaging to my wife and to my, my son, Trevor, in particular. 
And it was, um, it, it was a slow downward slide because at first your body's in such a shock, but then you're saying, wait a minute, what's going to happen? Am I going to be able to get out of this? And being in ICU for six weeks really gets discouraging. During that time, I got shingles. Uh, they had to go back in and redo the surgery because they put screws in through my cervical uh, two and three, and they slipped. So they had to go back in and do a fusion of one, two, and three. And uh, the surgeries were knockout. We know from COVID where people were intubated. I had to have that, and uh, that was very difficult, which affects my throat to this day. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a lonely time. Uh, my wife was on the road traveling with business when she heard the news, and so she had to uh, fly out and make adjustments as quickly as she could. And uh, it was a difficult time. All my family rendezvoused in Southern California and stayed there for the amount of time they could with their jobs. But it was a battle that my wife and I have had to face, and we've been doing it now just over 10 years. Mm. So tell people kind of the decision um, of being in Seattle and deciding to move from Charlotte and even just kind of the difficulties, you know, that that decision and just kind of realizing this situation's a lot longer term than I think. Yeah. Well, we had hoped, and as I said before, my wife and I thought maybe in about six months I'll be back. Uh, Northwest University held out a position for me, but uh, it slowly started sinking in that I would need a walker and power chair. Uh, that wasn't going to change unless God worked a miracle. And uh, God had chosen not to do that. There might be people have a different persuasion of faith. And if uh, if iron will and determination of faith did it and did the miraculous, then I'd, I'd be walking freely and out running again. But it was sinking in that it wasn't happening. So Northwest University said, well, we can give you like a quarter time as a professor. But it was so expensive to live out there. And we realized we, we couldn't afford to keep our life there. And I developed online course skills to do that. And so uh, friends were here in uh, Charlotte and four people said, you move to Charlotte and we'll be there for you. And, uh, and we made that decision and, and moved in my condition. It was amazing. By then I was walking on a walker off a scooter in order to get onto the plane and, and functioning uh, better than I have uh, been doing now. Wow. Let, let's kind of go a little bit of theological here. So, I mean, one of the reasons why I love having you on is this is kind of like the conversations we'd have in your office. And, you know, you mentioned healing. Do you think 12 years ago you would answer the question, why God doesn't heal me differently than you do today? Or is it more nuanced? You know, as you think about the theological underpinnings of, yeah, God can miraculously heal, pe heal people, but he hasn't healed me. Do you think your response has changed or do you think you have a little bit more nuance to it? Uh, I think I have a, a different perspective on it, although, you know, it rains on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we live in a fallen world. And I had that in my theological banks internally uh, that life doesn't fit together in a neat little package. Um, 
everybody is not going to find healing. As a matter of fact, most people have to walk through an incredible journey of life. People listening now have their heartache and their their season of darkness that they're going through, and they wonder if there's any end to it. So I think my theological view of it reigns on the just and the unjust, the sun shines on the righteous, the unrighteous. Uh, Paul, in Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So all creation groans and travails. So I had that theological base that suffering is a part of this world. And now I was a recipient uh, of that and not being able to find my way out and having to have a journey with a disability uh, that no matter how hard you try, your body doesn't work the way it is. And you have to say, God, I'm going to serve you and love you just the same because I haven't abandoned the faith through all of it. What a great response. And so that kind of leads us to the question of the series and the question of the episode. Um, You know, your story could be totally different. You know, 10 years ago or eight or even five, you could have said, you know, this just isn't worth it. Um, God, I felt like you called me to be a pastor, called me to be a professor. Um, And you're doing some of that right now. But to the skeptic that's out there or to the person that's deconstructing, that would probably sit across from you, the 24-year-old that says, hey, Ron, why do you still follow Jesus? What would you say to them? Well, I had a strong faith before the accident. And uh, knowing I was, I came to Christ when I was 20 and uh, rescued from uh, a destructive teenage uh, years of my life and miraculously saved, and I knew that there was nothing else but to serve the Lord, and that the accident was not going to deter that. Um, To try to make it through what we've been through without the Lord, I I just don't see it happening. I mean, people would end their lives with stuff like this. Uh, People would be in such despair, become addicted to painkillers. And for me, it was, I can't go that route. Uh, The Lord is going to have to be my refuge and and ever present help in time of trouble. And so even though it's been difficult at times, you're reaching out, you're saying, God, where are you? Uh, you need to persevere just the same and uh, had some supporting arms of some people that helped me through it. I appreciate that. Let's, uh, since you mentioned it, let's let's go back to your, your wild teenage years and in your 20s. Um, you know, what was you know, 15 to 20 year, year old Ron wrestling with, you know, were you, you know, just agnostic or did you not even believe in God? And then how did you come to follow Jesus in that time? Well, I, I was exposed to the Christian faith when I was eight years old. And uh, I, I believe that God was real, but I just did not want to follow him. And when I was 15, my dad came down with terminal cancer. He wasn't a Christian, but my mom was a Christian by that time. My grandmother came to live with us, who was a committed believer. I'd come in late at night. My grandmother would be at the top of the stairs, and she'd say, Vrani, Jesus is going to get you. She was a Ukrainian with broken English. (laughs) And, uh, you know, she'd she'd scare the wits out of you. I mean, just like scare the hell out of you, I should say. And... uh, so the, the commitment there of a praying grandmother and a mother uh, made the difference. So in my, uh, so my teenage years were not serving God, uh, living a party life. 
But when my dad died August 6th of 1977, uh, there was a decision made in my life. I said, I need to serve the Lord. I was there when he died. He became a believer later on in his life. Wasn't a good father at all. And I said, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be a different dad and I'm going to serve the Lord. And, um, and I never looked back at turning away from the Lord in all of these years. And uh, it's been a long time, decades of serving the Lord. When I think back of those years, I, I realized that the one regret I have is that I didn't decide to serve the Lord uh, when I was younger. Uh, and I wish I made those decisions when I was eight and stuck with it. Mm. Well, let me ask you this. If you were to kind of fill in the blank, because I think this is super helpful for our listeners to get a little bit of your story. Um, would you say that you didn't follow God because you thought God was a killjoy. God doesn't want me to have fun. Or was it, you know, I'm angry at God. What was your kind of reasoning a little bit more specific? Like, was it God was a killjoy or was it something else? Uh, no, I just wanted to do my own thing mm. and explore life on my own terms rather than on his terms. And uh, so the idea of surrendering to God and letting him be sovereign and rule over my life was not uh, the most appealing thing that I was going to do. Mm. And so and then it was, uh, in a sense, it was rebellion, but it wasn't, God, I, I hate you as a teenager. God, you're real and you're there. I just wanted to live life on my own terms. Mm. What? So when you came to follow Jesus, what changed the most in your life? Oh, it was radical. It was, uh, I moved to Ocala, Florida, and to become a muscle therapist and going to school in Gainesville. And I had a whole new set of friends I needed to take up with because my friends of the past, as teenage years, were destructive relationships. So it was the friendships that were radical. I became, uh, I mean, so serious about memorizing the Bible and it started with verses and then uh, chapters and uh, a wholehearted devotion. And it was, uh, so it was during that time where uh, prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord, uh, serious about digging into the Bible, reading every chapter twice before I'd move on, uh, wholehearted devotion to be a serious student of the Bible. And that's from God, because God is the one who gives you a hunger for his word. Mm. That That's a lot. Well, let's kind of come to, I think one of the themes that's arising from this conversation that's super powerful is the really dark and difficult times of your life draw you to God in ways that don't. And so if you were sitting down pastoring or talking to someone that, like you lost a parent to cancer or maybe lost a job and they're kind of on the fence about following Jesus. How would you encourage them and talk with them? What questions would you ask them? What would that conversation look like? I would much rather be on that side of it. 
you know, it's, I mean, even when I was at Valley Forge at the university there, I was act, they felt I was like the campus pastor because I love to do the reaching out. Mm. I want to be the one going into the hospital room and talking with people, going to the rehab and being in interaction with them. Uh, I don't want to be the one on the receiving end. It's definitely more blessed to give than it is to receive. But if I were to walk into someone's room, what would I be telling them? I'd be reading scriptures to encourage them. I would want them to be looking forward in their life, uh, looking up to the Lord. I would look to help encourage people to reach out to them for the church community to gather around them and be supporting arms. Uh, so, but I, I much more prefer being on the, the giving end because it's, uh, it's, it's hard to receive. It's, it's hard when you're having to be dependent upon other people to do things that you just can't do yourself. Mm. And uh, so, but I would help to stabilize their faith the best that I could. Uh, this might shock some of the listeners, but I would not be sending them to the book of Job. And uh, uh, the book of Job is a challenging one to this day for me because it wrestles with what we call a theodicy. That is trying to explain the tragedies of life. And Job's comforters did all they could to explain the tragedies uh, in his life. And they had all of these answers. And in the end, they were all wrong. And uh, in the end, God, though, said, Job, it's none of your business. Now, I know people don't like that understanding of Job, but it is. And when the book's closing out, it's none of your business. I'm in charge. I do what I do. And Job had to rest his case and believe uh, that the Lord was sovereign. And uh, so to do an in-depth study every time I've attempted in the past 10 years uh, to dig into it, I've I backed off and instead found myself better immersed in the in the Psalms, um, and the the Pentateuch is is helpful when it comes to Genesis and Exodus and the New Testament. Let's come back to Job for just a second because I think I think Christians, you're right they they love to use that book, and it's probably better when someone's not going through pain. Do you do you find any comfort or is it mostly frustration that when you get to the end of Job, you know, as you said, that God has just made his decision and it is what it is? Or, you know, how do you process that today? Um, the book is a challenge to come to terms with God allowing all of that suffering. I know there's people of faith persuasions of a, prosperity angle that will say he got twice as much, but he never got back what he had before he lost his kids. His relationship with his life, uh, wife crumbled. Uh, you know, he, yeah, you can get back other possessions, but your life isn't defined by material wealth. Your life is defined by relationships. You know, Job had to intercede for his kids before the tragedy uh, in hopes that they would not sin and offer up sacrifices for protecting them. And, uh, you know, having a hedge of protection around them and, and the enemy taunting them. So out of, out of Job, I mean, I know the, the book well. It's just this in-depth study of trying to figure out the theodicies of my own life don't fit well in Job because it leaves me with frustration. Um, and I know that might rock some people's face that, that are listening. There's a lot of things in the Bible that really hit us hard. 
and uh, and the book of Job is one of those difficulties. It just it seems that uh, you can think God's unfair. Why did He allow Job to go through that and the enemy to so torment him? Hmm. And when you think about it, you come over into the New Testament you realize that the same was happening with the Apostle Paul. He, he sought the Lord three times to remove his thorn in the flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient. And so there's, there was a messenger of Satan uh, sent to torment, lots of speculation of Paul what happened, but he had to live with something that hung over him uh, that kept him humble and dependent on the Lord. Uh, so he had, in some ways, uh, a Job experience, but with a New Testament perspective that makes it a whole lot easier to go through. Why do you find Psalms more encouraging than probably any other book in the Bible, you know, in this season of life? Well, the Psalms have been through so many times before the accident, but when when you're struggling on in your faith as to what to do, uh, I encourage people to go to the Psalms and go to the Gospels. Go back to the Gospels to reroute us in what our Christian faith is all about and go to the Psalms for comfort because every human emotion is experienced and processed within the Psalms. And so therefore they become a place of comfort and a place of lament because when we go through suffering, there's, there's the lament we have to work through. And, uh, we like the Christian life that is a lot of uh, excitement and high energy when we come together. And yet the Christian life is really lived out in the trenches. It's, it's daily. It's the, it's God is working with us in the daily uh, events of life. And so the Psalms touch on that real core human feeling. I mean, David with his, his faults, with his sin, with his, fear of Saul trying to kill him five times. Uh, it comes out of the crucible of life. And that's why I think the Psalms are so valuable. It's the hymn book of Israel, and it also needs to be the hymn book of believers in Christ. Do you think the Bible helps us be more human than probably any other religion? Well, it's more real uh, when it, talks about what's really happening. I mean, the, 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 the realness with which the Bible speaks is, uh, is an authentication and of it because other, other books, other religions try to cover up their, their leaders and things that happen. Uh, but the Bible is raw. It's, uh, it tells the foibles this morning in my devotions, reading about uh, the denial of Peter. I mean, here we have someone who, you know, was a pillar of the church to come, and yet he's denying Jesus. You have you have these raw reality of people's lives, and that makes the Bible so real. Mm. We'll come back to maybe some of those thoughts. One of the reasons I want to have you on is um, when I meet with people, uh, I actually use something that you taught me. It, it's a from the Psalms. It's Psalm forty-two. You talk about four different seasons, and I think that this is really relatable, not just to those Christians that follow Jesus and are at the church, but it's actually fairly relatable to people that might be deconstructing, doubting, even those that are open to God. And so 
I just was curious if you could walk us through those four seasons as a practical way to kind of live out a little bit of your story um, to help people, you know, kind of sense God and even life being good or bad in their life. Yeah. Well, Psalms 42 and 43 are companion Psalms, and they have a repeating refrain that is found in them. And it's why you downcast, O my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise in my Savior and my God. So it's a repeated refrain so that we know they're companion psalms. And um, many of the listeners would be familiar with the first two verses of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you. There's a song from years ago regarding that. It was a great worship song. And uh, so the psalmist is is having this hunger and this thirst for God. And he's what we call a season of delight. It is a time when life is good and God is present. I mean, you are you're you're waking up, your 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 finances are taken care of, you have provision, you have work, things are going well in the family, uh, your your life is energized and you're inspired. You're, you're enjoying life. I mean, the hallelujah psalms of Psalm 150, 145 through 150 come easily. You're not having any resistance praising the Lord. And it's a great season of to be in when life is good and God is present. You're, you're praying and your prayers are getting answered. Uh, but that's not reality to stay there in life uh, because life moves on and God has different seasons that he, he shapes us through. And so the psalmist remembered the festive throg, the good times, but then things change. And he changes his tone in the psalm to say, uh, where are you, God? So we call it the season of silence, where life is good, but God is not present, so it seems. So the psalmist is in a dilemma, hey, things are okay, but there's this tension taking place internally. Uh, where are you, God? Uh, in that season of delight, it's easy to forget about the things of, of the Lord because you think everything's provided for. But in the season of silence, you're starting to wonder, God, you know, things are okay in my life, but where are you? You seem uh, so silent. And uh, we do not practice in the Christian faith enough of, of solitude and spiritual reflection. So there's where we need to slow our lives down and to listen more. Uh, Christians are too noisy. Our services are so noisy that we can't always hear what God is saying because there's too much commotion. We're plugged into the TV and the news and the music, the things around us. And so in a season of silence, life is good. God is not present, so it seems. But if we would quiet ourselves down enough, uh, we'd be able to hear him. It's like Elijah, God was in the still, small voice, quietness. Jesus going aside to pray in, in times of solitude. So the season of silence can be effective. And then uh, the psalmist deals with the season of the, the desert. These are metaphors of images. In the season of the desert, life is not good, and God is present. Uh, when you go through dry times in your life, and they're, they're very difficult. And dry times can last a long time. As a matter of fact, every the Desert Fathers were well known for this idea of the season of desert. 
And uh, they they would cry out during that time with that solitude in God. And God would come through, but sometimes it was a long process. Uh, everyone that God has used in significant ways has gone through desert experiences. Just as an example of Moses, you know, it's on it's 40 years in the desert to get a hold of him. Paul has to be out in the Arabian desert. God has a way of shaping people through desert experiences. So life's not good and you're you're dry. The psalmist, you know, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And if you look at those psalms more closely, there's this there's this quest inside. There's this desire to meet with God in significant ways, but it, it doesn't seem like it's happening, which leads to that refrain, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then quickly to the fourth one is a season of darkness. It's a time where it seems that the lights are turned out. Life is not good and God is not present, so it seems. Um, and for me, the season of darkness, the biggest one ever was this accident. Uh, that you're thriving going down to California from Washington State and here you go in the water and your your life is just forever altered and uh, never the same uh, until I get a new body in heaven. And it's a season of darkness because life is not good and God is not present. So it seems, where, where are you, Lord? Uh, how to sense God's presence, not a feeling so much, but that internal stability. And uh, you can get incredibly bitter in a season of darkness. Uh, that's a time when some people abandon the faith. They walk away. And you start wondering if there's any life beyond the grave or is all you have is the, the grave for the future, the despair of it. Or back to Job, you know, he wanted to curse the uh, day that he was even born uh, with his despair. And so the psalmist is looking to find his way. And so in the season of darkness, it's uh, Henry Nowen talked about the wounded healer. And out of the those experiences can come the wounded healer. I mean, there's times of, of tears. And then there's times where you can be so beat down that you feel like you can't even cry. And you wished you could have that cathartic experience, but the tears uh, just don't come because of the pain that you're in. But... Each of those seasons don't last, whether you're in the season of delight, it doesn't last this side of eternity, it will in heaven. You know, the season of silence, it doesn't last because God's not going to remain silent. The season of desert, eventually the living waters will come back and the season of darkness for the believer, uh, they'll return. But if you walk away from the faith, you you give it all up. What do you have? That's a, a snapshot, a quick one. I love that because it's just so practical. So I think you mentioned you feel like you're in a season of darkness. You know, if I can't locate God, you know, and just so it seems, you know, if you were talking to someone in the season of darkness, what would you encourage them with? What would you say to them knowing that, you know, you've walked through several seasons of darkness? Yeah. And I wouldn't say now I'm in a season of darkness. I think uh, now, just to clarify that, I'm, I'm I'm in a season of wrestling with, okay, God, where where does it lead? I'm I'm sure of a future in heaven, but what do you have to go through through in order to get there? Mm. Uh, so with with somebody's in a season of darkness, I mean, you can make some real bad choices. Uh, for instance, I would not have any trouble getting painkillers from 
uh, doctors in order to do it. And I made a choice that I would live with the pain rather than uh, become addicted to painkillers. I teach online classes for three different places. Uh, I want my mind to be active. And even though my body doesn't move the way it needs to, and so I would tell a person in a season of darkness, you've got to, you've got to find some uh, relationship with God just the same. You can't be busy blaming God. Uh, and, and God is not your enemy. His goal isn't to go ahead and beat you over the head and, and make life miserable for you. We live in a fallen world and things happen. Uh, and I would encourage them that they, they have to get out with people, even if they're somewhat confined, find a way to get together with people. And when you get together with them, you can't bellyache all the time about everything that's going wrong, try to enter into their lives. And uh, so we're, we have a church that we're involved with, go out to eat with people, try to make connections of reaching out to others. Uh, and they need to get counseling. There's, And it's finding good Christian counseling uh, that can help you come to terms with perspective uh, and not just anybody. I'm talking about someone uh, that has a journey of faith, but yet has the skills to be able to walk you through that. So I would encourage them to find good, healthy, uh, balanced counseling. And if one's not working out well, try another. You're not looking for someone that's going to agree with everything you're going through, but someone that will be open uh, to help you process that together. You know, one of the things that And you, by all means, keep your... Go ahead. By all means, keep your connections with your family because uh, my sons and myself, our relationship with three sons went through a difficult time where when I was talking with them on the phone, we were... Uh, I was talking too much about what I was going through and I had to turn the corner and instead let the conversations be talking about what they're going through. And uh, that was helpful. Mm. I love, I loved where you ended there. Um, you know, what does it look like as a follower of Jesus to walk with someone through the darkness when you're not going through the darkness? I don't think people know this, but you actually have some counseling education You've definitely helped a lot of pastors learn how to listen. But if someone's walking through darkness in their life and they're trying to find God, you know, how would you help that person, um, you know, just be a great friend? Well, there is the thing of being present and half of ministry is showing up and being present for people. So I have people that I'll reach out to just the same, and they can't believe that I'm going ahead and reaching out to them in the midst of what it is they're, they're going through uh, because of what I'm facing. So I, I think there's an idea of being present. You have someone in the family who has a diagnosis with cancer, uh, be present for them. You know, some people end up we're dealing with now that have weird illnesses, things that they're facing. It's being able to be present for them. And um, it's hard when they're bitter because bitterness is a cancer of your soul. And it's trying to help them have perspective that their bitterness and the way they're lashing out at people is not helping them uh, to have the relationships they need as part of their, their uh, healing process. 
because sometimes the healing won't come physically, but it can come emotionally. Mm. How have you been healed emotionally in the past 10 years? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, I think I've, I've found the, you know, the encouragement of, um, I'm not there yet, but a sense of how can I be at rest with the Lord and, um, and at rest in a sense of, of peace and comfort that can be found in him. Uh, it's been a challenge for my wife and myself because of a healthy relationship with, we've been married decades, uh, but uh, how to work things out. There's been times where uh, it's frustrating because we want to do things that we can't. And I have a wife that never abandoned me through it. Uh, but, Boy, that's a loaded question to respond right on the spot of how I've been healed emotionally. Uh, it's it's a journey, and I'm not batting a thousand. I can tell you that. Just want to be open with with everyone listening. It's a because it's a, a daily battle of you know going to bed, not sleeping well at night, and getting up in the morning and knowing that it is another day of an uphill climb. And how do you keep going? Uh, you have to emotionally uh, allow the Lord to, that's why the Psalms are so good, to speak to the depth of your emotions so that you don't live in depression. So I've been fortunate that I haven't had to live in major depression, even though there's discouragement, but it it doesn't last the whole day. It's coming and going. And uh, that's with help with people too. I appreciate you being transparent. I know that that's a loaded question, but I think it, it helps our listeners, whether they follow Jesus or not. Um, I think one thing I'm hearing from you is um, it's not like God always ties these situations in a perfect bow in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. uh, no, if life is not a neat little package, it can look that way as if people have this, you know, wonderful life and everything's fit together. But underneath the surface, everyone has to deal with all types of stuff. Some have an easier time uh, in the journey, um, but there's plenty to process along the way for each of us. And uh, eventually, there's some people life has gone well and then they get older. And I have friends whose uh, kids, you know, are not there for them. They have their crisis to face and you try to be there for them. Hmm. So why don't we close with these two questions? And I just, um, I'm really appreciative of the generosity of time and, you know, just to our friends, I, I probably talked to Ron, you know, anywhere from once or twice a month. So I've talked with you enough, Ron, that we just had to record it. So, um, you know, to the person out there that, doesn't know Jesus or is in a season of doubt and they look at your life and they're listening to your story, what's one thing that you'd want to leave them with as they kind of journey through faith and maybe try to decipher where Jesus is in their life? Well, uh, the biggest one is don't abandon the faith because, um, 
this puts a face on it using a walker to get around and uh one day uh, a few years ago i was so mad at god that i started banging my walker on the floor and i almost fell over and went down and i thought god i need you and the last thing i want to do is be on the outs with you but i was it was one of those days where i was mad at him and uh, and I wanted to let him know. Now, banging my walker around wasn't a good thing to do. And I almost went over and I, I repented for the feelings that I had. And fortunately, I didn't fall that time. Uh, so it's it's telling people that, you know, don't don't blame God, because Paul said everything in this life is a light and momentary affliction. It's working out for us a far greater glory. All creations groaning and travail and pain. So it's temporary what you're going through now. Now, it seems like it's not temporary for us. This is just over 10 years we passed on October 5th. It doesn't seem like it's temporary, but in light of eternity, we're going to get through it. And don't abandon the faith. And um, make sure you expose yourself to people who have a healthy uh, walk of the faith. And... Uh, and don't listen to things that are just about people in their struggles. Go ahead and listen to the good things to feed your soul with with spiritual things that are significant for your Christian journey. Mm. Wow, that's a great place to um, to kind of end on. And so what we do in these episodes is we do final remarks. Um, so, Ron, you're going to be pretty used to this. I, I get to kind of share some of my final thoughts and then whatever mess I leave, you either can correct it with a red pen or clean it up. Does that sound good? Okay. <laughs> so um, I think one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is just uh, because of your authenticity in this conversation. And, you know, I, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean that life is going to work out perfectly. And I just, in listening to you, I'm I'm constantly reminded of the practicalness of, you know, there's times when life's going to feel good and there's kind of be times when life feels bad. There's times when God seems so, so close to us and there's other times that God seems so far away. And what Christianity brings is it brings a, a dynamic view of a bigger view of the range of emotions that we feel from happy to sad, to discouraged, to disappointed, to depressed, to anxiety. And, and I, I would hope our listeners in hearing your story and even hearing this conversation is that we follow a God big enough to deal with that big enough shoulders to listen to the hard mm -hmm. things. And um, yeah, that's kind of my final thoughts through this question and this idea in this series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's so true. I don't have to you know, clean up what you say. Uh, it's be present for people and knowing that God is bigger than all of the struggles you're going through now. Hmm. Hey, we, we don't do this often, but I just kind of feel like it's appropriate as a professor and a pastor. Um, you know, Ron, why don't you just close us in prayer for this episode and pray for our listeners? Lord, we think about the people that are tuning in and what they're going through or a family member. And 
the despair they might be feeling in their own internal world, maybe depression, anxiety, frustration, news about what they're going through physically and just emotionally, relationally. Lord, we pray that you would reach out and you would connect with them because there's people that are disabled emotionally that aren't physically disabled what they're going through. I pray that your arms of love would reach out around them, that uh, they would come to biblical understanding of how to put in perspective the struggles that they're facing. Pray for this ministry of what it's doing in order to touch people's lives and, and bring about transformation. And also in a series like this to help people develop a biblical perspective. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thanks for joining us.